Hi, I'm Rob. Welcome back to the Multi-Site Masters podcast. As the CEO of a technology company supporting the retail and hospitality sectors, I'm constantly fascinated by the stories I hear from people I encounter day to day. Hopefully you found us because you share my passion for finding out what makes these industries, with their large bases of operations and their geographically and culturally diverse workforces, really tick. As your host, I'm going to be doing just that on this podcast. Every week, I'll be speaking to a leading industry figure about their management philosophies and hope to tease out their tips and insights about what it means to run a successful business at scale. So without further ado, let's get straight into this episode. Today, we're speaking with Mike Adams, OBE, the CEO of Purple. Mike's a man on a mission to help disabled people find permanent jobs and build the largest recruitment agency of its type to help both disabled people and businesses flourish. Purple also helps businesses in becoming disability confident through tailored training programs. Mike, welcome to Multi-Site Masters. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. No, it's a tremendous honor. It's my pleasure. So, um, of course, we've been in contact for, uh, I think, a month or so now after I saw your cover piece in the uh, Institute of Directors um, article. And we'll get on to... Um, we got on to some of the themes that were that were covered in that piece as as we go through the course of this podcast, I'm sure. But given your uh, illustrious career and impressive CV culminated in getting the OBE, I'm sure listeners would be fascinated to just get a little bit of an insight into what your personal background is and how you arrived at the top job at Purple. Yes, thank you. Um, it's 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 a very disability focused career and one that I wasn't actually expecting. I I had thought to myself, because I am disabled, the one thing I didn't want to do in my career was something focused on disability. And then you find yourself flipping into it. So when I left university, as it happened, a job came up at the university, which was as the first disability officer of really any university in England um, to head up what was in effect creating a space for disabled people to access higher education. And I really enjoyed that, but it was predominantly focused on access issues, ramps, lifts, accommodation. And I quickly realized that the way forward was how do you create access to the curriculum? And the Vice Chancellor took up the, the, the challenge and enabled us to create a research center around disability and I did that for a while and then there was a national initiative to improve uh, disability in higher education generally and I became a director there. At the same time I was really conscious of the fact that I was perhaps becoming a, a one-trick pony with disability and decided to take the opportunity of doing a part-time MBA and I did that over two years and decided that I needed to do something with my MBA that wasn't to do with disability. So I went and uh, got a non-executive director role at the local acute hospital, uh, which was great. And at the same time, took a national role at the Disability Rights Commission, leading their business strategy. Um, and, then I, and I found myself in a position where um, I came back and wanted to do grassroots disability and joined ECDP, which was a disability charity. And seven years, eight years on, we have created out of ECDP a legacy organization, Purple. Fantastic. And, and Mike, so that 
now that now that you've reached the the lofty heights of CEO, I assume you've got some some spending power, which I think is what we're going to focus this podcast on, um, and customer service in multi-site organizations that are interested in in accessing the the purple pound, which I know I'm sure you'll talk a bit more about in a moment. I've got to start with the obvious question. Have you started your Christmas shopping yet? No. Actually, <laughs> I actually think I am down to leave the office at half five tonight to go to the first shop. So tonight might be the night. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so anybody listening that's in, well, it could be retail or hospitality, assuming that you're parched after, uh, afterwards, um, could very well be competing for, for, <laughs> for your spending power uh, sometime over the next couple of weeks if, uh, if this episode gets out fairly swiftly. Uh, absolutely. I epitomise the whole thing around this conversation. Um, spend my money. <laughs> Help me spend my money. I love that. Can we, all right, look, do you mind if we just if we just sort of jump in and out of some different scenarios that I think you know people that are listening to this are likely to be either senior managers or location managers in typically restaurants or hospitality, uh, hospitality or or retail. Um, now I don't know how many of the I don't know how many of the famous high street organisations out there will have had disability confidence training, which again I know something Purple specialises in. Um, so let's just jump in and out some scenarios that people would feel less intimidated by if they were disability confident, either because they'd been helped by an organisation like Purple or just because they'd taken a sort of active interest in learning about these issues. For themselves, whereas you know someone that hasn't had any any preparation might just not know might know what might not know what to do, be paralysed in that situation, and ultimately not capture the sale and not delight the customer. Is that cool? Yeah, and well, let me tell you two things. Then one, Purple is about an organisation determined to get businesses and business leaders to see disability as a commercial opportunity. Right. And you talked about the purple pound, and, and that equates to about £212 billion a year, which is the consumer spending power of disabled people and their immediate families. Is that right? It is. And let me tell you what I think will happen tonight. Uh, yeah, go on. If, if, if I can uh, leave the office on time, which is probably my biggest challenge... Um, I will go to a shopping centre and uh, due to the size of shopping centres, I will go in my manual wheelchair and I will go with my partner and we will go in and out of shops as I start to do my Christmas shopping. And I can almost tell you that probably 85% of those shops that I go into either the staff member won't come over, um, or if they do come over, they will talk directly at my partner rather than me. And I can tell you, she's got no money, so they really need to be talking to me, but probably <laughs> won't. Why, why, do you think, why do you think people, that, that is so often the experience? Why do, why do customer service assistants instinctively do that? You know, because I think... In this day and age, it's not because people want to be rude. It's right. people are so worried about unintentionally offending people that 
they would rather opt out of having that conversation than take the risk of having a conversation and offending an individual. And we did some research earlier this year with employers, and they have said that actually the biggest issue for them is the start conversation and the risk of not understanding the etiquette, not understanding the terminology, and deciding that the best way around that is not to have the conversation at all. Yeah, I mean, I can, you, can, you can understand, it doesn't make it right, but you can see why that happens. So I, I'm, I'm sort of mischievously, I almost want you to paint the, 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 you know, a completely inept experience. But what, I tell you, why don't we start positively? So what's the, what, what, can you describe a, a superb customer, customer service experience for that shirt, first shop that you go into this evening? Let's say it's, let's say it's an apparel shop. Yeah. You're in there to buy either clothes for yourself or for, for, you know, for someone that you're buying a Christmas present for. Yeah. So um, I get to the shop. Um, I look at the size of the shop. I realized how big it is. I realize I have no idea where anything is. I probably realize that I have no idea what I am going in for. Um, and rather than just mosey around um, going nowhere, Someone would come over and say, hello, sir, can I help you? Do you know what you're looking for? Can I be of any assistance to you? At which point, I would be absolutely delighted, and I would probably let the cat out of the bag that they could take me on a journey through the shop, and I will end up spending much more than I thought I would. <laughs> you're talking my kind of language. But look, let's cut, let's cut to the chase. The, the experience you've just described is a textbook is a te- is a textbook example of good customer service um, I- in any event there's nothing sort of uh, disability specific about that and I hope listeners will take something from that and then it's about having the confidence as you say to just go and have uh, a caring interested sincere conversation between sales rep sales assistant and customer right there's nothing there's nothing different there I'm sure we can get into some of the physical setup of the shop that might make a difference, particularly if you start getting towards, you know, changing rooms and the like. Um, yeah. But actually that, that first two minutes to, to impress you and make you want to stay in that, in, in that store to, to at least have a chance of them um, capturing your spend is, is actually completely orthodox, right? They just have to have the confidence to approach. Absolutely. Uh, it is, it, to my mind, it is very, very, very basic customer service. And it's what you would do to any customer. And the parallel really... Uh, Rob, is if you went into a shop with a partner mm. and every shop you went into, bearing in mind, just, just and they wouldn't necessarily know, but you are the person who was going to buy the things. And every time you went into a shop, the shop staff only spoke to the person you went in with. I yeah, I mean, it wouldn't it take would've... you too long to get quite irate, I don't think. No, it wouldn't. And I, actually, what I'm fascinated, I mean, I love, I love competition. So what I'm fascinated by is, you know, I don't mind a few brands being useless as long as there are some brands at the top and we're moving the average up. I guess what concerns me from our prior conversations is that you could go into 10 shops and maybe as many or eight, as eight or nine would be inept in this situation. I mean, do you, is it unfair to put a sort of finger in the air and say, sort of, could you guess in, in advance how many brands would impress you in this sort of this first basic test out of 10? I, I, I reckon one or two 
would impress me and I would love their brand for the rest of my life and probably would stick to them in the rest of my living days in terms of shopping. But I think that is probably down to fortune and the personality of that individual staff member who was there at the very moment that I was at that shop rather than a very clear strategy by that shop how they were going to deal with customer services for disabled people. Yeah, that's interesting. And actually, you touch on something interesting there. Of course, there's a lot of talk at the moment of shops moving to experiential shopping. Um, you know, and the fact that more and more uh, high streets taken up by casual dining as well, because people can buy so many commodity products on the Internet. Now, they tend to go to shops actually for something to do to pass the time. It's, you know, our new consumer society. And in a world where you go to shops for the experience as much as for the actual commodity, the uh, ability of the staff in store to deliver an amazing customer experience is ultimately what differentiates. Because actually, if you strip out the human contact, um, it, you know, you could be buying for less online. And, and so you can you can see that. I think what's interesting is, um, and this is a big part of multi-site leadership, you're finding that brands are having to completely rethink what, what sort of people they're looking for and how they how they train people to deliver amazing customer experiences that don't just relate to, to disabled customers, but for all types of customers, because it, it, it's those human contacts that create that create that brand loyalty. Um, can we talk a bit about, I'll tell you what's interesting to me, moving on to another scenario, Mike. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the sort of physical fit out stuff. You mentioned your early job in the, in the, at, the, at the university working out about physical access. If you've got, if the people in store are really are, are disability confident and just generally, just generally give great customer service, can you forgive, um, can you forgive the shop not being um, not not having been equipped with with all of the state of the art uh, or you know mo modern um, accessibility paraphernalia that you might otherwise expect, or is that also a basic hygiene factor? Even if the staff are, are great, will you will you say this is completely unforgivable that there isn't a changing room that is, you know, that is 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 conveniently situated? Totally forgivable, and I think ninety nine percent of disabled consumers would say exactly the same thing. If I just if I just took you back a second, because there is an issue around um, personal shoppers and personal shopping and stuff. And I know I used to, the, the, the analogy I always use is when I lived in Coventry, I had a local pub, and that pub used to bring service to your table. Um, so you went to the pub, you sat down at the table, and someone would come over and uh, say, "Would you like a?" pint or whatever, um, and then you would say yes, and then three quarters of the way through that pint, they would come over again and say, would you like another? And 80% of the time, I said yes. <laughs> I know that, I've been drinking with but, you. But, but, you know, but if I'd had to get up and, <laughs> and, and go to the bar and order another one, I'd be less likely to do it. And I think there's a parallel here with personal shoppers. And I think I, I saw, for example, an app that uh, a, a, a shop had with their customers who were interested in shopping with them. And what they said was, look, if, you're going to, if you know you're going to come into our shop, you know, through this app, let us know, and we will ensure that there is a member of staff to meet you at the door and can help you with personal shopping. And I know from that that 
the individuals who use it spend probably a lot more than they would otherwise. So, and I, I, as far as I know, I don't think that had an impact on the staffing rotors of that shop. So I do think, actually, it's those sorts of things and that attention to trying to do the right thing that totally outweighs if, for example, it is really difficult to get into a changing room because it's not, not quite big enough or it's in an awkward position. Nine times out of ten, they are cosmetic things that with a bit of thinking, you could create a changing room that doesn't reduce the number of changing rooms, but repositions it ever so slightly, so it suddenly becomes fully accessible to a wheelchair user. It's quite an empowering message, isn't it? Are you finding, how's, how's the wider um, disability community receiving Purple? Because so so much of your messaging is about stripping away excuses, isn't it, for all concerned? It is, and I, and I think for most people, um, and you talk, touched on it earlier, you know, a lot of this is common sense. Right. I, I, that there, is, there, is, there is a group of disabled people who, through our history and experience, will say nothing about us without us. We are the best placed people to understand our disability and we must make those decisions. But I think all I'm saying is that still applies. But if you're going to change the supply side and you're going to create the opportunities, then by definition, you have to bring businesses with us. So if you want disabled people to be able to be helped to spend their money, then you've got to enable the retail industry or the hospitality industry to understand that, understand the purchasing power of disabled people and apply some very generic um, kind of customer services and then one or two things that might be specific to disabled people or people with different impairments, that will make the whole experience very different. I'm glad you mentioned people with different impairments because I, I don't want to focus overly focus on um, physical disability because I, I know you've, you've told me previously that it's as many as four Four and five um, don't don't you, you don't give any physical uh, outward signal. You wouldn't necessarily um, you wouldn't necessarily know that you're you're about to encounter a disabled uh, consumer. Are you finding that overwhelmingly the purple pound is being directed to internet shopping and e-commerce, or not necessarily so? Because it's because it potentially strips away some of these um, some of these poor customer experiences that you you encounter in physical stores, or actually can can e-com experiences be just as woeful at times? Do you know? I think um, I think in some ways the the online shopping experience has made retailers and hospitality industry businesses lazier. Um, really. And, yeah, and I, and I think most organisations are really, really missing a trick in terms of simple things that would provide access to your online services. So really, let me give you an example of... Yeah, please do. So uh, an individual with dyslexia, um, which if they went into a shop Visually, they could see everything. They could probably navigate their way round. 
um, and everything would be relatively straightforward. You go onto a website and it's full of text, you can't do color contrast, you can't change font size. That person with dyslexia probably would stop their shopping experience within about four minutes, five minutes. And I was talking to our digital guy today, and actually most access panels that enable changes of font, color contrast, are is things that can be put in place within about half an hour. So there are really obvious things that can be done to support the online experience that simply aren't at the moment. And that rules out a whole group of individuals who might be fully accessible in uh, shopping, but not on the online. So people with a visual impairment who are blind, who use screen readers, I suspect that uh, making your site accessible for screen readers is pretty straightforward to techie people, but I wonder how many of the big retailers have actually gone through that audit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that's close to my heart because, of course, when you're building technical products, you're always doing cost-benefit analysis. You're always trying to figure out um, what percentage of what's the what percentage of users will a given feature impact because you're always trying to trade off, um, you know, because you never have enough resources to solve all of the technical problems, and it can really it can really cause you to miss some some seriously important, significant, financially significant. I'm not even just talking morally here. Um, issues because you you just you just don't spot issues like that. I know that even in my business, you know, we were guilty for our first few months of not thinking about these these issues because they they were not necessarily proactively returned to us by focus focus groups of users, and it would, it would be consumers in a multi-site environment because actually, if your focus group is limited um, in its diversity, you know, then guess what you. Um, uh, the things that are being communicated to you that users need are similarly limited. So, you know, just as a, I thought I should have a bit of a mea culpa there because otherwise it's, um, it's easy for me to, to beat up other people that are running businesses um, uh, and not admit to to issues that I've certainly personally encountered too. The, the funny thing is, and the, the blind example is a good one, but actually um, where my ears pricked up is also when you referred to dyslexia because, of course, famously, lots and lots of highly successful entrepreneurs are uh, dyslexic. Because, well, of Richard, course, Richard, yeah, Richard, Richard Branson most famously, and, of course, they say that dyslexia quite often early in life trains one to delegate. I'm sure as you moved up to CEO, that's, that most CEOs you talk to say the, the art of delegation and, and giving accountability and responsibility to people all the way through their organization is a, is a real art. And often dyslexics actually learn that quite early on in life because they can't just do everything themselves. They have to delegate some of the, some of the, the, the specialisms that otherwise one could muddle through. Um, so <laughs> it's self-evidently foolish to be uh, limiting your uh, appeal to that, that consumer class. But would, would, would Richard Branson, however busy he is, want to feel that he had no choice but to delegate his shopping online because he couldn't access the information? whether he chose to or not. And in many ways, the parallels are, you know, if the cause that the disability movement has been uh, fighting for for all these years is to enable disabled people to have independence. Um, yeah. And I've always said independence 
is not about simply being able to put your socks on yourself, but it's about <laughs> having that wherewithal to be able to get someone else to put them on if you so choose. And if you use that example, Richard Branson, yes, he probably can afford to have a personal shopper, so he never has to go on any website in his life. But if he wants to go on a website and peruse himself, why shouldn't you know? Why should he be prohibited from doing that? Because people have simply haven't thought about enabling him to change the the font size or the background colour. Yeah, Mike, it's fascinating. If if some people listening to this podcast want to get in touch with Purple and have Purple assist their organisation, what specifically are the service lines that they should be thinking about? Because I understand there's, there's effectively two halves to your organisation. Yeah, we have we have an offer to business and we have an offer to disabled people and I think one of the interesting things we're going to do is then bring those two cohorts groups together to change the conversation about disability but in terms of the listeners today I think our offer to business which is that the the government have recently introduced disability confidence which is a government initiative designed to enable businesses to feel confident about employing disabled people. And there's three levels. And we as Purple are working with businesses to help them go through that kind of process. And so they end up with a logo saying we are disability confident as a way into starting to think about um, disability as a as an opportunity. And I think what we're saying and the other offer we do is say to businesses, think about disability as a commercial opportunity. We will work with you to build a strategy that looks at disabled consumers and how you can exploit disabled consumers, not not negatively, but in terms of, you know, help. Yeah, of course. Uh, just, let's just be clear about that. Um, so to, to devise and build strategies that will impact and influence the bottom line of those organizations because we believe if businesses start to see that stable consumers can contribute to their bottom line then most intelligent businesses want their workforce to reflect their consumer base and if right. their consumer base increases numbers of disabled people there will then be a push to reflect that in their workforce yeah, I get it. Um, Mike, if people want to get in touch with you to, to begin a conversation, what's the easiest way for them to do so? Oh, I, I think um, hello at wearepurple.org.uk. Um, we've got a telephone number 01245392300. Um, or you can get to us by uh, Twitter or Facebook. So there's no escaping you? <laughs> escaping. Absolutely not. Mike, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm sure that anybody listening to this is going to find it both inspirational and useful. Thank you so much for investing the time. Thank you ever so much, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Mike Adams, CEO of Purple. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any feedback or would like to feature or suggest someone to feature on an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch via the website multisitemasters.co.uk. That's M-U-L-T-I-S-I-T-E, masters, all one word, .co.uk. 
where you can sign up for email updates and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Multisitemaster. That's it for now. I hope to see you back here soon when I'll be joined by my next Multisite Master. <laughs>